Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jadikin. Desi's going to make this announcement because I tried to make it <laughs> and I made it sound very confusing. Okay, so... We are adding a new perk to our Patreon. This has been requested for a while, so we're finally uh, doing it. And we're going to be offering our main and mini episodes on the Patreon ad-free. So if you are sick of hearing the ads, (laughs) I don't know why you would be because we're very charming during them. (laughs) But if you are, you will now be able to go onto your Patreon account and listen to them there without ads. So... That's uh, a new feature. A lot of people have been asking for that. So here you go. We're finally Hap- doing it. Happy New Year. And it'll be <laughs> starting with this episode. Yeah. This yeah. will be the first ad free main episode. And if you don't have Patreon, uh, I think what you do is it, it literally all goes right to your like podcast app. Yeah. So it's pretty easy. It's and then, easy to Yeah, use. you'd have the, all the bonus content we put up there, which is also ad-free, <laughs> and the main and many episodes. It's still going to be um, on, you know, the podcast app. But, yeah. And well, you guys know what this is. Yeah. Every, every podcast does it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're like, I feel like we're one of the few podcasts that never offered ad-free. Yeah, now we are. But now we are. Yeah. So, so if you've been waiting to join because of that, now, now's your chance. Now you have an extra uh, perk there. Obviously, we will still have all of our bonus content that you will have access to on Patreon. Yeah. This is just a new thing. It's just an additional thing we're offering yeah. as well. So enjoy. enjoy. Uh, so who we got this month? Okay. So we did get some Patreon subscribers this past week. We had We Dad. Amy, Liz, Esther, Jesse, Pamela, Cece, Carol, Laura, Enrique, Charlotte, Rachel, Celine, Nayara, Kyle, Mandy, Kimberly, Sarah, Beth, Leah, Liz, Colleen, Taylor, Summer, Felix, Gemma, Gage, Tiffany, Timothy, Zane, Susan, Sophie, Emily, Seton, Alicia, Chris, Adrian, Dana, Amy, Amanda, Ariane, Sue, Ella, Ello, Sir, Jade, Suzanne, Kelly, Gina, Sharar, Liam, Emily, and John. I'm sorry. That was really difficult today. Why? I don't know why. <laughs> I was like, really... I was like, what, what is going on? Cause <laughs> you'd be pausing as if it was a difficult name and it would be like Rachel. <laughs> I don't know what's going on in my brain today, but That's look, okay. that was very hard for me. Desi. We're all doing our best. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about our main Story, the topic of this week's episode. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is the story of Elmer McCurdy. This is a great story. I hope you enjoy it. It sounds old. <laughs> <laughs> Just basing it on the name. It spans uh, half a century okay. plus. So you got to be old to span. It spans. This <laughs> yeah. is a story that spans many decades. Okay. My... One of my main sources for this episode is a book called Elmer McCurdy, The Misadventures in Life and Afterlife of an American Outlaw by Mark Svenfold. And I also read a shit ton of old newspaper articles. Okay. I mean, a lot of them. Okay. So I half and half was my research. It was December 1976, and the TV show, The Six Million Dollar Man, (gasps) was filming an episode at the New Pike Amusement Park in Long Beach, California. The show was filming a scene inside a funhouse called Laugh in the Dark. Ooh. And and that is spelled L-A-F-F. Of course. Laugh in the Dark had its patrons ride through the creepy house in little carts on a track passing by spooky sights such as a dummy that was painted neon red and hung from a gallows. 
When the carts approached the dummy, it lit up and let out a scream. The scene they were shooting for the TV show that day in the funhouse featured the dummy in the shot. Scary. So in between takes, a crew member went to go rearrange the arm on the dummy when the hand popped off. (gasps) The crew member went about trying to reattach the hand with some glue when he noticed something horrific about the dummy's hand. There was a bone sticking out. Upon closer inspection, the crewman noticed there was also human-like tissue surrounding the bone. Gross. Like... (laughs) He's like, this seems like kind of a weird dummy. I'm putting two and two together here. (laughs) This wasn't a dummy at all. It was a mummy. Ooh. The police were called, and when a coroner arrived at the scene, he determined, yep, this prop is human remains. Wow. The corpse was sent to, who else? Dr. Thomas Noguchi's office to be examined. It's always him. It's always Thomas Noguchi. The medical examiner who worked on him was named Dr. Joseph Choi. He was in charge of the autopsy. Now, the body had already been embalmed and had already been through an autopsy as indicated by the incision marks that were found on it. The incision marks, though, appeared to have been from a very old autopsy technique. The tissue on the corpse was so stiff that it would require an electric saw to cut through it. Mm. And they were afraid that this body was just going to shatter Yeah, when they sawed through it. It was that stiff. Dr. Choi decided to first do an x-ray to see what they could see, but the x-ray revealed that the body was packed with something that obscured any evidence, like whatever embalming technique they had used. Yeah. They couldn't see shit. The body had been preserved with arsenic, which was an embalming technique that had stopped being used in the 1930s. So they're like, this body has to be older than that. Upon opening the corpse, Dr. Choi discovered that the organs had been preserved, but were all rock hard. He also discovered a bullet lodged in its left hip. The bullet was an old copper jacketed bullet dating back to 1905. This bullet entered the body's chest and went through the abdomen, landing in the hip. This, of course, was determined to be the cause of death. Upon further examination, Dr. Choi discovered something in the back of the corpse's mouth. A very old penny dated 1924. But that wasn't the only thing in the corpse's mouth. They also discovered ticket stubs. (laughs) There's all kinds of stuff in this guy's mouth. It's very convenient for them to date the body. It was, and there was an address on this ticket stub. The ticket stub read, Lewis Sonny's Museum of Crime... 524 South Main Street, Los Angeles. Okay. I feel like I know people who live over there, like close to that address. Yeah. Where is that? Sixth and Main. Yeah, Sixth and Main. The mummy had been a part of the attraction at the New Pike Funhouse for years, but it had originally been obtained by a wax museum that had since gone out of business. The owners of the wax museum had left the mummy behind when the museum closed. Like, they just left a bunch of shit Yeah, when they couldn't afford to stay in business anymore. And one of the many things they left behind was this human wax figurine. When the amusement park acquired the mummy, it wasn't painted red, but was wrapped in a brown gauze and was called the 5,000-year-old man. A spokesman for the coroner's office said, quote, the corpse shows signs of a post-mortem medical examination and has been embalmed. It is the desiccated body of a man about 5'3 and 150 pounds. So he's a short king. Yeah. Whoever this guy is. Yes. The next day, the Los Angeles Times declared that the mummy had been identified. Ooh. It was Elmer McCurdy, <gasps> who was an outlaw who was killed in Oklahoma in 1911. Whoa. So how they identify him? Well, uh, we'll get to that a little okay. bit later. But um, they did a bunch of research, I, okay. I, I presume, and talked to a bunch of... I think they also partially, like, they had to go through, like, where was this guy left? Where'd you get him from? Yeah. Where'd you get him from? It was like tra- tracing the steps or the lack of steps. <laughs> yeah. So how did this guy end up at an amusement park in 1970s Los Angeles? Well, does he? Let's go back to the beginning. <laughs> Elmer McCurdy was born in Maine in 1880. 
His mother, Sadie, had him when she was just 17. His father wasn't in the picture, and his name remains unknown. But some speculate that the father was his mom's cousin. So maybe that's why he was never known. Yeah. They were like, let's keep that on the DL. Yeah. <laughs> this, let's, we don't want this to get out. Elmer was raised by his aunt and uncle until he was 10 years old when his mom, Sadie, came back into his life and revealed that uh, I'm actually your mom. <laughs> She was so embarrassed. Yeah. This is like a, they're speculating she was so embarrassed that she fucked her cousin and had this kid that she yeah. sort of went away for a bit. Yeah. And it's pretty embarrassing. It's an embarrassing thing. Yeah. I mean, Rudy Giuliani did it. He doesn't seem that embarrassed. He should be. <laughs> <laughs> From the beginning, Elmer's life was marred with trouble and he became an alcoholic at an early age. At 15, he was written up in a local paper for starting a bar fight. <gasps> He later became a plumber and was actually quite good at it, and he had a steady job for the next few years. Following his mother and his grandfather's death in 1900, Elmer left Maine to travel west. Elmer arrived in Iola, Kansas in 1903, and at this time, he decided to go by the alias Frank Curtis. He got a job as a plumber and worked as a volunteer firefighter. He had a good reputation in the town among his friends and business acquaintances, but he was known to be a heavy drinker and an alcoholic. So his drinking problems were still going on. He wound up being fired from his job as a plumber after he drunkenly told a colleague that he was living under an assumed name and that he murdered someone in another state. Which is worse. (laughs) (laughs) Elmer confessed to his employer, yes, I am going by an alias. My real name is Elmer, but I did not kill someone. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Maybe he was just that drunk. Or maybe he was bragging, right? Yeah. I mean, he might have just been so drunk he invented a guy he killed or he did kill someone. and That's the way it was back then. We'll never know. We'll never know. <laughs> it, was pro- it was a lot easier to get away with murder in 1900. Totally. Especially if you just left town. It's uh, like, yeah. that's it. They don't have, we'll like, never know. <laughs> we'll nev- they don't have like computer systems no. and DNA testing. Nope. You have to do the tap, telegrams. <laughs> Right, we we talked have- about the telegraphs, the wireless system. We know how tricky that can be yeah. in, in Titanic. Absolutely. Elmer spent the next two years mining zinc ore in Missouri before ending up back in Kansas where he was stationed at Fort Leavenworth because he joined the Army. For the next three years during his service, Elmer mostly kept out of trouble, though he did make the Fort Leavenworth news in March of 1910 when he was admitted to the hospital. The blurb in the paper that I read said, quote, Private McCurdy, Company East, I guess the E is in East, 13th, in, 13th Infantry admitted to hospital, hemorrhage and irrational. Drunk again. <laughs> it sounds like he was drunk and also had a hemorrhage, right? Yeah. Yeah. After being discharged in November that same year, Elmer made the paper again, but this time for an arrest. He met up with his friend Walter from the Army, who was on a seven-day pass. So Elmer's been discharged. His friend's still in the Army, but he has this seven-day pass that he can like go into town, and he wants to see his family and yeah. shit. So the two of them went to St. Joseph, Missouri, where Walter had family. On November 17th, Elmer and Walter were stopped on the street by some cops as the two men looked to be, quote, suspicious characters. Uh, Yeah. The police noticed that they were wearing civilian clothing over their military uniforms and carrying a large bag. They're Hmm. like, what's in that bag? And inside the bag, the police found a slew of tools, including drills, hacksaws, a door jimmy, gunpowder, a gunpowder funnel... Hmm. And nitroglycerin. Seems suspicious. So they uh, were like, this, is, this doesn't look good. What are you two boys doing with all these tools and gunpowder and nitroglycerin? Are you making a bomb? Yeah. What's happening here? Elmer claimed that these items were u- being going to be used to work on an invention he came up with. A bomb. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he said, I'm, I'm going to get this invention patented too. This is like very scientific work here. I yeah. need these items. Uh, he said that his invention was for a machine gun with a foot trigger so wow. that you could shoot the gun with your foot. 
that sounds lazy. <laughs> the it whole was, point of shooting with a machine gun is you could hold it and be like, and look like coolest shit. Yeah. Not with a fucking foot pedal. He, Come on. This machine gun was going to be like a tripod. There was gonna, it was going <laughs> to have like a tripod stand and you could hit it with your foot. The lazy killer. <laughs> That's Elmer. <laughs> But police believe that these tools were going to be used for committing a burglary. Hmm. Now, the only known photograph of Elmer McCurdy when he was alive was the mugshot that was taken upon uh, upon the time of his arrest for these stealing. They were like, what are these? This is suspicious. So they arrested him. Both men were looking at a lengthy sentence if convicted. At the arraignment, the prosecutor wasn't buying that Elmer had some kind of machine gun invention. And where did these tools come from anyway? I bet you stole these tools. Yeah. Elmer asked the judge for a continuance so that he could subpoena his own witness. Uh, one, of, one of the witnesses he wanted to include was his commander in the army, a guy named Captain Charles Murphy. But this strategy backfired because Captain Murphy testified... Ended up testifying against Elmer when he came in. Well, he didn't give him the testimony he wanted. Captain Murphy looked at the tools and he said, these don't look like they could be used to build a machine gun. Yeah. Elmer's like, dude. I'm a bad inventor. Okay. <laughs> Just because it's going to fail doesn't mean that that wasn't my idea. <laughs> right. We don't know. Yeah. Elmer was furious, and he apparently got up out of his seat in the courtroom and lunged at his former commander and started swearing at him and shouting. I'm always fascinated by people who have those kind of outbursts of anger (laughs) that they can't control themselves. Like It's a bold move in a courtroom. Yeah. Because that immediately makes you look like a bad guy. Totally. People don't want to see that. I mean, maybe they want to see it. They're like, that person has zero self-control. Yeah. And they are probably not good. And now they look guilty, right? Elmer was remanded to jail while he awaited trial. In jail, he made friends with a guy named Walter Jarrett. So this is a different Walter, not the one he was busted with the tools with. Very popular name back then. Back then, Walter was like... um, Jacob. Whatever. It was a popular name. It was like Jaden. It It was was Jaden. It was the Jaden of its day. So Walter Jarrett, this is the only Walter in the remaining of the story. So it's just this dude that that he met in jail. Walter had been locked up for being drunk and disorderly. In the past, Walter had been busted before for things like petty burglary and bank robbery. But he wasn't a very good bank robber. He didn't make out with a lot of money. Hmm. So this guy had had a rap sheet. Elmer was remanded until his trial in January of 1911. A gunsmith testified for the state to determine if Elmer's tools would be of any use in the assembly of a machine gun. And the gunsmith replied, well, I don't know anything about machine guns. And the prosecution was furious because they're like, this guy's supposed to be an expert and tell us that you can't make a machine gun. He's like, whoa, whoa, I'm a gunsmith. Look, I have my limits. (laughs) I don't know anything about... This is an embarrassing moment now for the prosecution. No, they should have asked. That should have been their first question. They should have vetted him before they had him on the stand. Ridiculous. I don't don't know why they didn't. And luckily for Elmer, some of the other state's witnesses, including his commander, Captain Murphy, who testified at the arraignment, were all away on military business. Hmm. So they couldn't get any of these other incriminating witnesses for the state. Elmer's defense attorney brought forth witnesses who knew his client in the army, and they all testified to his good character. So everyone from the army who could make it to the court were like, we love Elmer. Yeah. He's He's got his fans. He had some stands. Elmer testified in his own defense, explaining to the court how the machine gun contraption would work. He really is going for it. (laughs) And the jury loved it. They were enthralled by Elmer's inventive spirit. They're like, this guy, is a, he's a Thomas he's Edison. <laughs> he's going to make a foot machine gun. Yeah, it'll save the world. <laughs> and, and they found him not guilty. I mean, it's a pretty slim case. Yeah, I think there was a lot of luck involved in getting him yeah. uh, acquitted. After he was released, Elmer McCurdy traveled to Oklahoma where he moved into a cabin that was owned by the brother of his jailhouse friend, Walter. So he hangs out in this cabin for a while with Walter's brother, 
And eventually Walter made his way back to the cabin to join his brothers and his friend Elmer when his 50-day sentence was over. So Elmer's hanging out at this cabin, living there with Walter and his brothers. And this was like... When they all got together, it was just trouble. Yeah. These, all these boys liked, liked trouble. That spring, the boys would rob a local general store for supplies, including ammunition that would aid them in their future much bigger heists. Ooh. We'll take a break here. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money, and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I've had a really stressful year with work and family stuff, and I know I'm not alone when I say I tend to push that stress down in order to get what I need done, done, and that only makes things worse. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. In the past, therapy has helped me navigate many situations from helping me to set boundaries to just becoming the best version of myself. If you are thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I love that it's entirely online, so it's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash HCS today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash HCS. Shortly before midnight on March 23rd, 1911, a train carrying 250 passengers made an unexpected stop in a rural area near Lenape, Oklahoma. Two men who had hopped the train earlier had held up the engineer at gunpoint and had ordered him to stop the train at a specific crossing. Moments later, everyone on board was met with a hail of gunfire that was coming from outside. It was a foot-pedaled machine gun. (laughs) (laughs) It worked, Desi. Most of the passengers on board got down onto the ground. Many grabbed their valuables and hid them. 
One of the train's passengers was like, I'm going to kick these robbers' asses. Nice. He got up, but then a new spray of bullets sent him crouching down low, and he just stayed there the whole time. He's like, never mind. (laughs) That's what happened. The four bandits responsible for the holdup was Elmer McCurdy, Walter Jarrett, and Walter's brother Lee, and another guy, their friend named Albert Connor. The bullets ceased for now, and the two and two masked men entered the mail compartment with guns. Then a third man, who is presumed to have been Elmer McCurdy, marched in because he was going to attempt to blow up the train safe with explosives. Ugh. Now it's like almost certain that this guy who was in charge of blowing up the safe was Elmer because Elmer had a history of knowing all about explosives. Right. According to the train's engineer, Elmer used nitroglycerin to blow the outer door off of the safe. After the outer door was blown off the safe, it still wasn't open. So he requested some, he's like, someone get me a pick. I need to finish this. He requested like different passengers. Like, do you have anything I could pick? Do you have a hairpin, (laughs) ma'am? Meanwhile, the fourth robber stood outside the train and periodically fired shots into it. The train's conductor made his way to a sleeper car where he hid out for most of the holdup. But on his way back to the sleeper car, he was like going back, walking back and telling passengers, we're being robbed, we're being robbed, gotta go. (laughs) And then he hid. He was quoted in the Coffeeville Daily Journal as saying, there were at least 100 shots fired to intimidate passengers and make them keep in the cars. A man stood on either side of the train and kept shooting his revolver. Some of the bullets came so close to the coaches that they grazed the corners. Other bullets tore up the gravel in the roadbed. He continued that he believed many of the passengers remained unharmed because the robbers were mostly concerned with opening up the safe. That's what they were focusing on this whole time. But they did shoot a lot of bullets to scare people. Yeah. The bandits had to make multiple attempts to with both nitroglycerin and dynamite before the safe was finally blown open. It took four separate explosions to get it open. Damn. And each time, each explosion would just cause more and more damage yeah. to the train. Uh, it was a mess. And people were, I mean, this ex- explosion, these explosions took so long uh, yeah. that people were probably getting bored and like not scared of the bandits. Uh, that's what I was thinking. That's what I'd, I'd be like, come on, yeah. just fucking get it open already. <laughs> Sick like, of being robbed. <laughs> yeah, it's taking like two hours at this point. Uh, and when the safe was finally opened after those four explosions, they found thousands of dollars worth of silver coins inside of the safe. But most of the silver coins had been fused together and stuck to the sides of the safe from the heat of the explosions. Ugh. So it rendered <laughs> it rendered what would have been worth like $70,000 today yeah. in silver coins worthless. Damn. Because they were stuck to the sides of the safe now. Oh, my God. Uh, there were some coins that spewed out of the safe, yeah. but all those coins were crumpled and warped and bent. Is the silver still valuable, though? Probably. Yeah. Because the guy's... The bandits did scramble around on the floor and were like, get the coins, get the coins. Uh, this is this not one, a very sexy heist. This is one of the least sexy heists to ever occur. Yeah. This is a complete disaster. No one seems to know what they're doing, even though Elmer is supposed to be the explosives expert. He's like, he really doesn't know how to work explosives. He just knows better than the other guys. He's, he like knows how to explode things, right. but not in a way that's makes the stuff safe. Right. Right. Like like he could have exploded had better luck exploding a large structure as opposed to this small structure of a safe. Right. Uh so what so an they, idiot. They, <laughs> because <laughs> I'm just saying like even me, a novice, would be like, well that will damage the stuff inside. Do you know what I mean? Like it can't it seems weird that they didn't think of that. Uh, no, not at all. Uh So they then ordered the mail clerk to hand over his mail pouch because at this point they're desperate to just get anything. Like Like, anything. Give me the mail pouch. Give me your brooch. (laughs) They did did do that to the mail clerk. So they start rifling through the pouch and then they, I don't know what they found in there, but they then made him hand over his pocket watch. He's like, give me your watch at least. Yeah. 
According to the Coffeeville Daily Journal, the men did make off with a stack of unsigned banknotes. Hmm. According to the train's en- engineer, only two of the bandits wore masks. Oh. So people were able to identify yeah. these guys. The bandits then got away in a getaway car. The mayor's daughter was on the train during the robbery, and she said that she told the other passengers, oh, isn't this exciting? <laughs> I'm sure that really upset a lot of people. Yeah. Yes. Another train passenger was smoking a cigar in the smoking room when the train had first stopped. So he stuck his head out of the window to see what was going on when a bullet came in through the window. It didn't hit him, but as soon as this bullet comes in, he quickly closed the window and then shut the blinds. It Did it light his cigar? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. The explosion from blowing open the safe caused great damage to the express car. The entire side was blown off. These idiots. The propulsion from the safe door being blown off also did some damage as well. Like it put a hole yeah. in one of the sides too. So it was just... Explosions are very destructive. <laughs> yeah. This did a lot more damage than they thought it would have done. All in all, the four men each wound up with $450 when they split the loot up that they did make mm. off with. So I mean... It's not bad, but a little dramatic to get that little money. It seems like a lot of work. The juice was not worth the squeeze. No. So what did they do with this money? They blew it all almost immediately because they went out partying. And they spent like a week straight just drinking. Yeah. And I don't know, going to brothels maybe. Yeah, get some pussy. (laughs) They got some pussy from this train money. Uh, Less than a week after the train heist, Elmer and Walter made headlines again uh, in the Coffeeville Daily Journal when they were involved in what the paper referred to as a cutting scrape. According to the article, Elmer, Walter, and some local guy named Bill Brown were all drunk one night in South Coffeeville, Oklahoma. The three men hailed a cab at one point, and now it's... Un- I looked up what were t- what did taxi cabs look like in 1911. Yeah, it's like a horse. It might have been a horse and buggy. <laughs> it sounds like it, it was probably a horse and buggy. Yeah. And a guy. So... Uh, no, just the horse. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be 50, 50 cents. Sure. <laughs> horse sounds like? Yeah, it's horse voice. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> Officers were called to the scene when all three men ended up getting into a physical altercation, which left Bill Brown with deep gashes on the side of his neck and his forehead. The paper said his coat was slashed to bits. From what? A knife. Oh, okay. Elmer. <laughs> from, I'm just, I, I was like, what? <laughs> from a wolverine. Yeah. <laughs> the the horserine. The <laughs> Elmer was also injured with a cut on his wrist, and Walter had a gash on his face. So so what was this guy just whipping around a knife around? Honestly, the guys were so drunk when the cops got there. It was they were like, "Well, what happened? How'd this start?" I'm just trying to place everything with all these slashes. But who started it? Who? So some guys just like drunkenly, like, (laughs) if I'm doing a good imitation for Rachel, you guys can't see, but you know they're just swinging their arm around with a knife, slashing people. And the cops, the cops are asking, like, well, how'd this start? And the guys were so drunk, they were sort of just, like, incoherently yeah. telling a story. And, we like, did that! <laughs> <laughs> and the cab, poor cab driver's like, well, am I going to get paid? Yeah, can I just get my money? You know, to get home. <laughs> uh, it was a mess. They never figured out what happened or how this fight started, but each of the men were fined $10 for disturbing the peace. Good. Meanwhile, a team of investigators were on the hunt for the bandits who robbed the Iron Mountain train. I'm thinking that Coffeeville newspaper is getting a lot of action out of these guys, right? Yeah. It's like nothing happens and then all of a sudden it's like put some, like I would be starting to piece these things together, right? Desi, that's why you're the scientist on the show. (laughs) It's like, look at all this trouble happening since these guys with the horse and the slashing right cut into town. Maybe we should ask them about the train robbery. Absolutely. So yeah, this is like a huge manhunt. They're trying to figure out. I mean, I guess it's not a manhunt yet because they haven't identified the guys, but they're like 
trying to get to the bottom of this. Yeah. On April 9th, the police made a visit to Walter Jarrett's cabin. It was actually just a routine visit because he was a parolee. But when they got there, they discovered evidence to connect his brother Glenn and their friend Albert Connor to a robbery of the local general store that they had committed earlier. Hmm. So they're like, hey, these are the this is these are the guys who robbed the general store. Yeah. Get that sack of feed. <laughs> Look at that burlap sack. <laughs> That's from the general store. It has general store marked on it. <laughs> Get that jug with the X's on it. <laughs> After these two were arrested, they went back to the cabin where they found dynamite, nitroglycerin, and ammunition matching the bullets that were used in the train holdup. Then they discovered Elmer McCurdy's army discharge papers. The other brother of Walter, Lee, was also arrested and charged in connection with the train robbery. But they couldn't find Elmer or Walter. A $2,000 reward was offered to find them. By this time, Walter had split from Elmer and was now in Missouri, but it wasn't long before authorities caught up with him. He had robbed a post office in the town of Chester and was sitting down next to his horse looking at a map when police surprised him. Dude, lay low for a bit. Don't keep robbing with your horse. He immediately went and robbed this other place. The police believed that he was staking out his next robbery locations on the map. Not very subtle. It was not subtle at all. They soon discovered that Wal- that the Walter they had arrested was also wanted for train robbery. Uh-oh. In May, the charges against Lee Jarrett and Albert Connors were dropped and they were released. Walter wound up being convicted for the train robbery and, and sentenced to 25 years. But Elmer was still at large. In late June, a man in Jersey City was arrested on suspicion of being Elmer McCurdy, but it turned out to be just some dude. Another short king. (laughs) It was another short king they arrested, and he was released after being held in jail for a few weeks. The real Elmer was traveling through the Osage Hills in Oklahoma, looking to start over, perhaps. He was reportedly working as a ranchman. He wouldn't be discovered until October 9th in Pahaska, Oklahoma. That's where the pioneer woman lives. Really? Yeah, Pahaska. Oh. Uh, not that there's any connection. I just, I just know about Pahaska because of the pioneer woman. Yeah, I don't know the town. Police in the area had caught up with Elmer after he was wanted in connection with another train robbery. <gasps> the MK&T train was robbed by two unmasked bandits a week earlier, sending officers scouring the hills of Osage County for the men. A pack of bloodhounds was dispatched that led officers to a barn where Elmer was hiding out. What proceeded next was a shootout involving three officers and Elmer McCurdy. He was basically like, you'll never take me alive, and starts shooting at these cops. They shot back. Of course. And he died. Oh. That's how he died. He got shot in the hip. He got shot, shot in the chest, traveled to his hip. Oh. It tore through his body. Was he on the ground on his stomach shooting? Probably. Yeah. I mean, he's like, uh, I've made it this far. Yeah. I'm not going down without a fight. Yeah. None of the officers were injured, but Elmer was dead. Elmer's former employer, William Root, identified the body and said that Elmer was a good man and a hard worker, but he was an alcoholic, and one time he killed someone. Yeah. That's his legacy. <laughs> Elmer was also suspected of robbing a bank with this new group of bandits a few weeks prior to his death. The other men believed to have been connected to the MKNT train robbery were arrested. One of them was released, but the other two were put on trial. One of these men, a guy named Amos Hayes, was convicted and sentenced to 25 years, while the other, Dave Sears, who was unable to be identified by witnesses, was acquitted. It's unclear if Elmer actually did rob this new train, this other train. Right. uh, Or if Dave Sears offered up the now deceased Elmer as the culprit rather than himself, because he's like, well, he can't say otherwise he's dead. So he, people wonder if like he just said, oh, Elmer did it. Yeah. Sorry, you can't ask him. Right. I mean, that's a great idea. Yeah, because no one could identify this guy. They did find a bottle of whiskey that had come from the train at Dave Sears' house, as well as a rifle that matched one of the rifles used in the holdup. Right. 
Elmer's body was taken to the Bahaska funeral home to be embalmed by the funeral director, Joseph Johnson. There was no one to claim the body, and so for several years, the embalmed corpse of Elmer McCurdy was propped up in the corner of this funeral home. Wow. The corpse was also dressed in a costume. Very disrespectful. (laughs) (laughs) It was like a kind of like a cowboy outlaw costume. Okay. And this guy, his corpse is now just on display at the funeral home. Maybe this is like, see what I can do for your loved ones. Yeah, if you want them to look like a cowboy, I can do that. (laughs) (laughs) What if there was a funeral home director who offered like, I can make your loved one up in like a call, I can make them an astronaut. Anything. Any cot we have like yeah. a whole wardrobe of costumes. I like that this was would would have been considered appropriate at all. Even back then. Uh, you, look. Because no one claimed the body, so it's like the funeral home's body to the display. The government would have had to pay for the funeral services. So I think they just had this guy hold on to it. Yeah, if you don't pay your bill, I'm propping this guy up in my lobby with a cowboy outfit on. Yeah, no one could no one yeah. claimed the body, no one could pay the bill for the embalming. So he just held on to him. Yeah. Uh, and I think he he also grew to like Elmer. Okay. The corpse. In an article written for the Muskogee Daily Phoenix in 1915, 4 years after Elmer's death, people it said people have traveled to Joseph's funeral home Uh, to marvel at the body. So this had become an attraction. According to the article, you can touch it if you want. Ooh. The corpse. Yeah. Thousands of people viewed the body of Elmer McCurdy at Joseph's funeral home over the years, and he actually turned down many offers from sideshows and carnivals who wanted to purchase it. He's like, no, this is my corpse. Come on, I got a lot of foot traffic coming in. (laughs) (laughs) But in 1916, a man alleging to be Elmer's brother called up Joseph and said he wanted to claim the body. The man calling was actually Charles Patterson, co-owner of the Great Patterson Carnival Show. Elmer McCurdy was then taken on a tour west with the carnival show for everyone who wanted a chance to see the Oklahoma, Oklahoma outlaw. So he lied to get the body. He lied. Okay. After traveling throughout the country for the next several years, the corpse was purchased by Lewis Sonny, a former policeman for his traveling wax museum of crime in 1922. This guy, Lewis Sonny, he's real sick. Ooh. Just in my opinion. Uh, Okay. He's a former cop who Mm -hmm. has a traveling wax museum of crime. Oh. And he purchases this corpse of Elmer. For the next two decades, Elmer was part of Lewis Sonny's new show. The bandit corpse was among 150 wax figurines of criminals and U.S. presidents in Lewis's museum. Why separate? Well, U.S. presidents are also criminals. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying this guy's a sicko. He also Wait, were they, was he the only real corpse? Everything else was yes. wax? Okay. Everything else was a wax dummy except for Elmer. So... Lewis Sonny would place the wax criminals on one side of the room and then a bunch of angry-looking president figurines on the other side of the room that were supposed to be staring down the criminals. Oh, weird. Uh, like in some sick tableau. Sandoff, yeah. Yeah, like, like oh, you guys. We will, you are not part of this country. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, according to his son, Dan, I don't know why he did that. No one does, no Dan. One, no one knows your dad's weird, sick freak fantasies. I mean, that kind of stuff is so bizarre. Like people who run these sort of sideshow or carnival-y type whatever. And then they have these weird, it's like, look, we've all seen Psycho. We don't want anyone having personal relationships with corpses or wax figures. <laughs> like, <laughs> and and sideshows were very popular at this time. Totally. Still. Yeah. In 1927, Elmer's corpse took up residence at a downtown L.A. wax museum. Occasionally, Lewis Sonny would take him and the other figurines out on the road for a tour, but Mm. he mostly stayed. They mostly all stayed at this L.A. wax museum. In 1930, the El Paso Evening Post reported that Lewis was stopped by federal agents when they thought he was trafficking people across state lines, but then they look closer and they're like, oh, it's just a bunch of wax figurines. Yeah. Nothing weird here. In 1931, the LA Times wrote a piece on the spectacles to be seen on Main Street in downtown LA. The article says, quote, 
Did you ever pay 10 cents to see a dead man in a coffin? Did you know that an 11-course Mexican dinner can be had for 25 cents? For 10 cents, one can behold supine in an ornate coffin, the mortal remains of one Elmer McCurdy, erstwhile Oklahoma bad man. Wow. I want to know more about this 11-course Mexican dinner. For 25 cents? That sounds like a good deal. I want the whole deal for 45 cents. <laughs> to see the corpse and the... Well, it said, well, was the 10, 10 cents, cents? 35 cents. Okay, but I thought there was another 10 cent charge for the wax museum. I thought that uh, Elmer was an additional 10 cents. For 10 cents, you can see Elmer. Okay. 10 cents, you can see Elmer, and for 25 cents, you can get in. What was before the um, Mexican It just repeated it. Oh, it's repeating it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, But yeah, so I... Because sometimes the star you have to pay extra for. Right. You know. So, but you can see Elmer for 10 cents. You can get this 11-course Mexican dinner for 25 cents. I read this entire article. I wanted to know if there was any information about this 11-course Mexican dinner. You're getting diarrhea from that meal. (laughs) I'm sorry. Because it's so much food. 25, 11 courses for 25 cents. Even back then, that's a suspicious deal. You don't think it's a good deal? <laughs> I mean, it's a good deal if how, the food's good. How much is 25 cents? Hold on. <laughs> okay. So adjusted for inflation, it says 25 cents in 1911 is worth $7.31 today. So you're right. That's a very, that's too good of a deal. That's too good of a deal for 11 courses. I would want to pay at least Seventeen dollars. <laughs> like, yeah, I would want it above fifteen. I'd want it above fifteen too. Also, it depends what the courses are. Well, maybe some of the courses are like uh, chips. Yeah, I, but that's still a lot of courses. That's a lot of courses. Okay. okay. Well, I wish I'm we knew. still interested. I want to know what what they had at the it dinner. It could be really good. I don't it's know. It's possible. By the 1940s, these types of spectacles had declined in popularity with the American public. And when Lewis Sonny died in 1949, Elmer's corpse went into storage. In 1967, Elmer's corpse made an appearance in Dave Friedman's exploitation film, She Freak. If you don't know who Dave Friedman is, he produced a lot of exploitation films in the 60s and 70s, most notably 1963's Blood Feast, which is a very iconic old horror film. The corpse was lent out to Friedman by Lewis Sonny's son, Dan, who also produced exploitation films and B-movies. Elmer was then sold to a wax museum in Hollywood in 1968, and when the wax museum closed, it ended up in the hands of the New Pike Amusement Park in Long Beach. It was spray-painted red and dangling naked from a gallows in the Laugh in the Dark Funhouse ride. Now, is his body in a sitting position or no, standing? it is standing up. Okay. Well, it was supine in the coffin, laying down. Right. It's, it's outstretched. It's stretched, so that you could stand it up. Yes, you yeah. could prop it up against something. And so in 1976, Dave Friedman like, got to take a look at the body to help further identify it, and he said, it's old Elmer. Oh. And... Yeah. Okay, this is the weird thing to me, because when you look at a picture of this corpse, there's no mistaking that that's not a a shriveled up corpse. It looks like a shriveled up corpse. By the time that it got into the hands of the amusement park, I don't know what they were thinking. They spray painted it? They spray painted it red, but it still looks very much like a corpse. Imagine your body having such disrespect. (laughs) (laughs) Like Jesus, like for decades, for decades, just put in storage, just hang it up, fucking spray paint it. Who yeah. cares? <laughs> just like used an I don't even necessarily films. care. Like I don't have that much of attachment to like the dead body, but it just seems a little off. <laughs> like it's a little extreme example of being disrespectful, and then broken off by a crew member. Oh yeah, just like breaking it. Oh, that looks corpsey. <laughs> Just unbelievable. I just don't understand why this amusement park saw this terrifying looking mummy and were like, this is a good attraction for kids. I mean, it's kind of unbelievable how many people were just like, thought it wasn't real, maybe. Yeah. That's the only way I could see you kind of doing shit like that with it, not thinking it was real. It looks like a mummy to me. I know, but things are so... People are so good at making fake things now. Yeah. Right? I mean, I haven't seen the picture. Uh, I'm assuming there are pictures yes. that we'll post. We will post pictures. Um, yeah. I don't know. I could see not knowing it was real. Yeah. But even if it looked crazy real, but I'd probably be like, wow, that's a, <laughs> they did a good job. <laughs> now I'm going to spray paint it. 
Or someone telling you to spray paint it, you probably are just like, well, that can't be a real body if I'm right. spray painting someone's it. Someone's saying to spray paint it. Yeah. Uh, who would do that? Well, the New Pike Amusement Park in Long Beach did. The following year in 1977, Elmer McCurdy was finally laid to rest Ugh. in Guthrie, Oklahoma, where he was buried amongst a few other outlaws in the Summit View Cemetery. So if you want to go see him... But he's buried. He's buried. So you could pay respects yeah. at yeah, his grave. Yeah, he's finally laid to rest. <laughs> yeah. He's not... It would be funny for one final insult if they had him raised like in a glass coffin. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Genitals out, <laughs> shriveled up balls shriveled out. Shriveled corpse balls. That's the other thing. This corpse was naked in the amusement park. Oh. Does it have a penis and balls? I, I mean, it's, I think the, it's pretty shriveled to beyond recognition. Yeah. But they, it's not even like they had him in a costume at the amusement park. It just, just looks like body. this shriveled alien thing. Right. Wow. It's creepy looking. Okay. And it's hanging from a noose. Yeah, that's pretty creepy. That's actually a good haunted house. It's a very good haunted house. But I imagine, I wonder how out of place it looked amongst what they probably had a bunch of like wood cutouts of like clowns and stuff. It's like everything from Party City or like Spirit Halloween and And then a real corpse. Yeah. And then they have something that looks like it was made by like a professional movie production house. Mm -hmm. They got so, one good prop. <laughs> they got one good prop, and it was Elmer. So that's the story of Elmer McCurdy. We will post pictures on our Instagram. Yeah. Follow us there. I'm excited to see him. And yeah. his, I'm his corpse. We have we have pictures of him when he looked a lot more preserved, when he was in, traveling the sideshows. Oh, so there's like a few. There's some stages of Elmer. Nice. That we have. Uh, but he was pretty well preserved because they used arsenic. Yeah. So he was preserved well for a while. Uh, was that scene kept in the six million dollar man? Like, is he in it still? <laughs> well, before they could start shooting, the hand oh, the hand I broke see. off. I got it. So yeah. they had to pause production for a minute. Got it. But I guess you could still see that episode. Yeah, that took place in the funhouse. Cool. So uh, that's our episode. We will be recording an after show for our Patreon, and that's that. Maybe you're listening to this episode on Patreon with no ads. <laughs> You never know. Have fun. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.